Hello and welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast. Over the many years I've been running a business, I've met many, many successful people, entrepreneurs, sports stars, celebrities, and dare I say, even royalty. So what makes a person successful? Do we know what success is? And the all-important question, can we create success for ourselves? This podcast series invites a diverse group of people to share their insights, their wisdom and the things they've learned along the way. We all know what a huge market there is now for cosmetic non-surgical treatments. And my guest today, Dr. Arma Khan, is a leading cosmetic doctor in this field. You're very likely to be able to put a face to his voice as he regularly appears to give expert advice on television, including This Morning and The One Show. He's the co-founder of the award-winning Harley Street Skin Clinic, as well as an author, a keynote speaker, and humanitarian. He's won awards for the work he's done through his charity Back on Track for surgically, medically, and psychologically rehabilitating injured former servicemen. And his books lead the way on all aspects of inner health, the aging process, and the latest research into regenerative medicine. Uh, so what can I say? That is quite a CV. Welcome to the Sandro Forte podcast, Dr. Arma Khan. Thank you for having me on, Sandro. Well, the pleasure is ours. It's, um, it's great to have somebody with such an incredible reputation and such uh, an amazing journey, which I'm hoping we're going to prize out of you today, if that's okay. So yeah. um, you don't mind me asking, where did, where did it all begin? Where did the journey begin? Your background? Uh, where, where did you grow up? Uh, and what, of course, led you to into medicine? Well, I've always wanted to be a doctor ever since the age of eight. Um, that's when my decision was made. And it was made because of the stories I heard from my father about my grandfather, who was um, a medic in the army. And um, so there are a number of links there. And certainly with our charitable work, we work with the forces. Um, my grandfather was um, a philanthropist. Um, he, a lot of the work that he did with, in his military field wasn't just with soldiers. He also spent a lot of time and a lot of his own personal um, money supporting villagers because he was based up in the Himalayas. Um, and um, he would go out to villages and help them and support them by providing medical services, and in the winter, he'd take over blankets and clothes and resources for them. So all of that really inspired me. And, you know, I, I can say, you know, that he was my hero. And that's what really put me onto the path of following a medical career. Wow. Uh, that's lovely to have such an influence uh, and inspiration in your life. So what, what then um, inspired you to become a cosmetic doctor as opposed to, you know, general medicine, for example? Well, I qualified in 1986, um, and I worked in the NHS. I, I did hospital work to start with. I then decided to go into general practice because that's where I could apply the skills that I'd learned in hospitals. So I spent um, from 81 to 86 um, at medical school learning as much as I could um, and really enjoyed the medical aspect of it, but I also enjoyed surgery. Um, and initially, I thought I was going to follow the path of um, cardiac surgery, 
um, or cardiology, and that, that was my passion. However, I found that those being almost like tertiary specialities in that, you know, there are gatekeepers who are the general practitioners, and then they go through hospital medicine. And then on a tertiary level, as a third consultant, you would see somebody with a heart problem. It was a very narrow field. And I really enjoyed working with people. I enjoyed the whole process of the, the diagnosis of various conditions. I love to see people, even now, when they come to the clinic, I go down and collect my patients from the, the waiting area, and I watch them get up, walk up the stairs, because it tells you so much about their health, about them, um, and how they're coping. So there are so many things you can pick up, and it's almost like being a detective, and I love that aspect of it. So I chose after about five years of hospital specialities um, to start to focus on general practice. I did some psychiatry um, as part of my training um, because I wanted to understand how people actually work from a psychological perspective because I believe that we are psychophysical beings and there's a, an interaction between the two aspects of our health. And um, you know, I, I stayed in general practice for the rest of my career thereafter. Uh, but I also operated because I had a regular slot um, at Selly Oak Hospital in Birmingham, where, where the soldiers were, were being brought in. I would do a day's operating there in their minor ops theatres, looking after injuries, skins, burns, um, and plastics. So that really started my interest in the cosmetic field because I wanted to get better and better results. Mm. So in 2000 and Four, I started to look at cosmetic and aesthetic surgery and, and medical treatments in order to help me help my patients get better results. And that's when my aesthetic and cosmetic career really started. Wow. I've, I've cycled past Celiac Hospital many times in the past. I was at university in Birmingham, so I used to go past you, used to go past you all of the time. Um, yeah. One question I have for you, which uh, it comes out of something you've just said, actually. Um, cosmetic transformation, let's call it that. What is it about human nature that, that um, leads us to always want what we can't have? That, uh, that's kind of a, um, that's kind of part A to the question. But of course, uh, because of your skill and the skill of your colleagues uh, who are, you know, at the top of their game, of course, that's now possible. But what is it about people that, because uh, there's an analogy for life and business and, and other aspects of the world in which we live. What is it yeah. about us as human beings that sort of leads us to always want something that we can't have? I think it always starts with our psychology. And I think, you know, whenever we see somebody um, in our clinic, in our clinical work, um, we always assess their psychological status. Now, we talk about psychological well-being. Now, they may have a degree of psychological well-being, but our psyches are so fragile. Our perceptions of who we are is very fragile. And this is human nature, I believe. And, you know, before we were sophisticated, um, the whole psychology of attractiveness was to do with procreation of passing on strong genes and incorporating strong genes into your descendants. So part of the physical attraction, physical attributes are from that aspect of our psychology. 
However, as we've moved on, we've become more sophisticated and the media has a great input. And um, from a psychological perspective, if you see somebody and you admire their confidence, admire their achievements, you admire, you know, who they are, um, you very quickly associate that with how they look. And um, from a psychological, and this is subconscious, we don't do this consciously. We look at people, we like them, and we, we, when we're children, we emulate them in their expressions and behaviors. As adults, we have our own expressions and behaviors, which are now um, ingrained in our lives. What we try and do is we try to look more like them. We might dress like them. We may even want to try and look like them. So from a psychological perspective, you know, anything from a very, very minor adjustment all the way through to quite major surgery. I think that's one of the driving points. And the other is, of course, we're aging and we don't like the way that we're aging because as a society, subconsciously, we're all very, very prejudiced. We live in an era of political correctness. And, you know, we try not to be prejudiced. We try not to be racist. But innately, the human being is, and you know, it, it's 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 human nature that we are prejudiced, and we don't like changes that occur, which are moving away from where we see our prime. So, trying to look our best, trying to look our best for our work, for our communities, for our societies, and you know that that's another driving force for people wanting to have that change. And of course, the media. You know, we we see a lot in the media where very young people are having changes. Um, and also our um, media persona, because the pictures we take, the selfies, you know, I get patients coming in and saying, I want to look like me, but in my selfie, again, which is not really always achievable. So there are lots of drivers now which are coming together to drive this industry forwards. I'm reminded with a smile on my face uh, in that scene from Educating Rita, I don't know if you remember, but. Uh, where the lady's in the hairdressers and she's reading a magazine and she points to uh, the picture of uh, Princess Diana, God rest her soul. Uh, yeah. and, it, and it's clear that there's no chance on earth she will ever look like Princess Diana. But anyway, um, and that leads, I guess, to another observation question for you is, you know, uh, I think it must take, and we, we're still talking about a fairly unregulated um, profession, um, you know, rightly or wrongly, and I'm sure that we'll, we'll pry some comments out of you on that in a, in a moment. But um, I guess one of the, the toughest challenges, particularly in a fairly unregulated um, profession, is that level of integrity. This is why it's so important for people to find out um, or come across people like you, uh, Dr. Khan, where um, you know, there's got to be a level of professional integrity where people come into you with a request, with a requirement, with an objective mm -hmm. that is probably not possible. Uh, but rather than following their wishes, I suppose there's a lot of uh, there's a requirement on you to help them understand what is and isn't possible so you manage their expectations. Yes. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the industry is very young, and I think that's one of the, the reasons why regulation has been an issue. However, we, we what we've got to do is make a distinction between a profession and the industry itself. The industry is much bigger than the, the professional part of it. Uh, what I found is that with the CQC, with um, our own regulatory processes, um, and I work in Harley Street, so we're regulated by the GMC, 
by the CQC and by the Howard de Walden um, Trust. Um, so the regulation on a professional basis is quite high, and you know, and we are being very tough on ourselves to reg- to make sure that you know we're, we're doing the right things for our patients. Because when we come into this industry, like I explained, I was in the National Health Service. Nobody, I, I had mentors, I had you know um, senior clinicians who guided me and saw me through my training in the National Health Service. There's nothing like that in this industry. Everybody has to learn this profession on their own merit and, and you know, with their own efforts. And when we come out of the National Health Service, the whole support structure behind you, you know, the hospitals, you know, if anything happens, you've got a whole team of people there, you've got different specialities to step in, all that disappears. And you have to stand on your own two feet and create that safe environment around you. So it's been a huge learning curve for all of us. Um, and especially, you know, for me, because you know, we wanted to provide a, the best, the safest um, sort of environment for our patients. And you're absolutely right. The, the industry itself isn't that regulated because it's new and nobody has legislated. And before legislation comes, we have to have regulation. Um, because we can legislate on a regulation. So we can say, right, here, here are the regulations. These are, these are the standards we work by. If you're not working within, within these standards, you're working um, outside of a legal framework. Um, but without that, we can't have legislation um, because people might have set up. It could be their primary source of income. You can't legislate against people making a living. Yeah. That's a, you've made a, made a really good point, actually, which I think many of us would overlook, and that is it's still a very young industry. It seems like it's been around for a long time, but of course it hasn't really. Um, so short of seeking advice from and treatment from you, obviously, that's what everyone would do. Um, what, there are clearly risks of going to someone that is uh, not suitably qualified or doesn't have enough experience or doesn't have the integrity. What are the kinds of things that people should be looking for if they were considering uh, non-invasive treatments or, or cosmetic surgery of one description or another? I, th- I think um, it's, it's good to see more than one person, um, you know, because whoever advertises, whoever's out there saying, I'm really good at this, I'm, I'm doing this, I'm doing that, they're, they're self-promoting. Um, and I think we haven't got really a framework where we can advertise as professionals. It's It's against our regulatory advice. Um, so, you know, I can't really advertise I am good at this or I, I do this and nobody else. Because it's a young industry, it's very difficult to know who is good, who is safe, and who is properly trained. And I think the thing to do is to go and see the people as much as they're interviewing you, you know, about your health. And we always do a full medical Um, assessment of of patients coming through. And we're asking questions which may not relate directly to what they're asking about, but we always get a full medical history. You know, I ask them about their psychological history. And a lot of the times people will say, patients will say, well, is that relevant? And my answer to them is, yes, of course it is, because I'm dealing with you as a person, not as a set of lips that need filling or, you know, a brow that needs relaxing. So. You know, it's important that whoever you see, that they take a full history, they take the right interest in you, that they're prepared. 
to say no if they can't see what you see or if they don't feel that it's appropriate for, them, for you to be having that treatment. So patient safety is number one. The second thing I'd advise is see more than one person, see at least three, because that's the only way you're going to develop a sense of what's right and what isn't right. Yeah. Good advice. How I have to ask you this question, since it is uh, a question on the lips of probably at least half of the people listening to this today. Uh, how safe are non-invasive treatments? You know, we know it as, as Botox. Uh, on the one hand, we hear, you know, it's one of the most deadly toxins known to man. And yet it's used so widely around the world by, unfortunately, sometimes inexperienced people. You know, is it safe? Uh, is it the sort of thing that, you know, people not should be encouraged to do, but is it, a, is it a perfectly safe alternative to surgical treatment, for example? If it's sourced through, through a prescription and the right type of Botox is used, yes, it's safe. We have known even, uh, there, there was a story in America of a surgeon who, saved about $120, bought some Botox off the internet. And it was about 3,000 times more potent than the Botox we use. And he paralyzed himself and his friends that he treated. And they were on ITU for three months. Wow. Now, yes, a teaspoon of botulinum toxin can wipe out the world's population if administered in the right way. However, the doses that we use in cosmetic treatments are so tiny that it's something like, um, if you think about the safety of any medicines, there is what we call the therapeutic ratio. And the therapeutic ratio is the ratio between what we call the ED50, which is the effective dose for what you're using it for in 50% of the subject, and we compare that with the LD50, which is the lethal dose in 50% of the subjects. If you look at paracetamol, that is about 100. So if you take between 10 and 100 times the dose, the, the recommended dose of paracetamol, you're going to start to see fatalities. Whereas with Botox, it's something like 2,800. So it's, the, the ratio is huge, which means the safety margin is big. Doesn't mean to say that, you know, people can't get hold of Botox on the internet, which may not be safe. So Botox itself is very safe. If things go wrong, you might get a droop. Um, you get full recovery from Botox in that after three months, the effects have gone. Other non-surgical treatments like fillers, which are not regulated at all because you, you can get them off prescription and anybody can use them. If these are injected into a blood vessel in the face, one of the consequences of that could be that you could lose vision and that's permanent. So, you know, the, the, the concept of safety where fillers can be used by anybody, Botox can't because it's prescription. Botox is much safer used in that way than fillers are in an unregulated way. So, you know, yes, there are risks to everything we do. Sure. And thank you for clarifying that. That's going to put a lot of people's minds at risk and probably have your phone ringing off its, uh, ringing off its cradle. So let's talk about the Khan Signature Facelift, because I know that's something for which you are well known. You know, I know that the, the reason why we wanted you on, on this show is that, you know, I know you're a man that prides yourself on offering 
the very best in terms of expertise and skill at your clinic. But now you've developed this this treatment. So tell us about the Khan surgical or the I beg your pardon, the Khan signature facelift. I think it's it's a name that the clinic has given me. We, I, I love working with the technology. The more we use technology, the more we do a treatment, the better we become at it. Another question that people should be asking whenever they go to see somebody is, well, you know, how many patients have you treated with this treatment? You know, and if, if somebody's practicing, even if it's a practitioner practicing, a professional practicing once a week, they may not have that experience behind them. Whereas, you know, a non-medical practitioner may be very good at what they do because they've got lots of experience behind them. So, you know, there is that that perception as well. We're very fortunate. We've got a large clinic. We see lots of patients. I do a lot of research and development in developing um, various combined treatments. And, you know, this was my signature really is combining treatments. And I've been combining treatments. I've been lecturing on that since 2006. So what we've what we've actually looked at is there is a, a desire for non-cutting surgery surgical treatments by combining and, and, and by understanding that if we're looking at the face, there are five different layers that age individually and, and they have different impacts on our features. And by looking at those five different layers, we can address each of those layers individually. So if we start off with a skin surface. You know, what we see is a reflection. And when we're young, there's a flawless reflection of light. As we get older, we start to develop shadows and transition zones. And that is one of the signs of aging. So by improving the skin, the color, the luminescence, the the actual quality of the skin that will help people to look younger. So the signature facelift really addresses the skin. It addresses subcutaneous tissues, which are the volume changes. It addresses the muscles, which form lines and wrinkles. And it, it addresses the tendons, where you can get laxity of tendons. They can start to droop. And it address, addresses the bone recession and the bone loss that occurs with age as well. Of course, these occur at different stages, and and the five different aspects of treatments will go from the one treatment to two to three as we get older throughout the, the decades. But it's targeting all of those different changes to address a restoration of youth and harmony and balance, and that really gives the good outcomes that people are looking for. In that case, you can put me down on your list. I'm going to be making an appointment. Um, so let's let's talk about two other uh, things as well, if we may, um, Doctor Khan. Your your book, first of all. You know, um, I always admire people who write books because it does take an awful lot of time and effort. So tell us about the new book you're writing. Well, I wrote a book called Turn Back Time, um, and that was about a. It was it was really a. It, it was because I. The, the world is facing a problem of obesity. It's facing a problem of poor health. And part of that is how we live. Part of that is how we're thinking and how we're um, operating physically on a day to day basis. And a part of it is what we're eating. Um, so it's, you know, our thoughts, our activities, our nutrition, the food that we eat. And I researched into why people's health are deteriorating, why obesity is becoming a problem and why, you know, multiple conditions are becoming a problem. 
So I tried to address that on a population level by writing a book. There's a lot of research behind all, all the work in there. Um, and it was interesting because as I was writing it, I would send off um, chapters and they would come back saying it's too complex. Please put it in terms that people will understand. It came back two or three times. So I, I think, and I've had some good feedback on that, that you know people have read the book and they've said there's a, there's a lot in there, but it's very simply put. And that is basically a genomic health guidebook, which will help people live a healthier, better life and, and get benefits out of how they're feeling, how they're moving, and of course, what their weight is doing as well. Now, the book I'm writing now is more for the industry. It's on regenerative medicine. So genomic medicine is looking at how our lifestyle affects our, our genes. It's about gene editing because we can change our lifestyles to upregulate good genes, downregulate the bad genes, and get a better outcome, You know, look and feel younger. Whereas regenerative medicine is based on stem cell technology. It's based on regeneration. In other words, when things start to go wrong, historically, we've been surgically correcting them. We have intracellular engineering, which we can use, which are our stem cells, our regenerative cells, that we can use to repair and restore parts of our bodies, our organs, our cells. And that's what this book is about. But it's, it's you know, I, I mean, I'm, I'm having a great deal of pleasure and fun in researching it because it's about medicine generally, and we will have a regenerative medicine section to our business. But the book is specifically about how regenerative medicine applies to cosmetic practice. So it's very, very focused for that industry. But what I'm doing is I'm, I'm you know, incorporating the general aspect to that within our practice as well. It sounds like you're a real, real torchbearer for your, both your profession and the industry generally. So the other thing I just want to touch on as well, because I know it's very important to you as it is for many of us, your charity Back on Track. Would you mind just, just telling us a little bit about that? Because uh, I know the, the one, that wonderful work you do for um, in the rehabilitation of service men and women, um, mm. very important part of, of your life. So just tell us about Back on Track. Oh, absolutely. As I mentioned earlier, I come from a military background. I was never in the military, though I was approached by all the forces when I was at university. Um, but in 2012, I think it was, we were doing um, a fly on the wall series called Stitch Me, Lift Me, Tuck Me for Sky Living. And around that time, um, a young soldier, Mark Allen, came to see me, his girlfriend booked an appointment for him to come to see Leslie and myself, Leslie's my wife, um, to assess his scarring. He was the youngest soldier to have ever lost both legs. He was 19 when he stood on um, a mine whilst he was in active duty in Afghanistan. And um, he was blown up. He lost um, both his legs. As a result of that, he lost and bits of his hands, his nose, um, and he had significant scarring because it was an up, up, an up blast. He had scarring on his body going up, on his neck, and on parts of his lower face. And she came in to ask if we could do something about this scarring to help him look a bit better. Some of those scars were keloid scars. He'd had a tracheostomy, um, so he had a scar in his neck from that. 
And Leslie and I decided at that point that, you know, yes, we could help him, but it was a long journey. You know, if we were going to help him improve his scars, it was a long journey. It would be a very expensive process. Um, so we decided to work with him as a case study to, to start to help to improve things. And as we got to know him, what we began to realize was that you know, a lot of our soldiers are very young. They're out there doing a job, um, uh, very much like our NHS is doing at the moment. Um, they're out there doing a job and putting their lives on the line so we don't have to. And as a consequence, a number of them will get injured and they'll be discharged. They'll be put back together and discharged back into civilian life. And one of the greatest difficulties is for these young men and women is that they haven't been gently introduced into civilian lifestyles. They've been in the army. They, they were young when they went to the army. So they went from a family to a different family. They were told what to do, when to do it, how to do it. And they were part of that family and they felt safe. And then suddenly they're in a in the big wide world without having the right preparation for it. And what we started to do was we started to work with him, number one, from a medical perspective and a reconstructive perspective and started to improve his scars and how he looked. We also started to help him because he's still an action man. Psychologically, he wants to get out and do things. He loves that adrenaline rush. And he was racing carts. So we sponsored him in cart racing. And we went to an event back in 2013. And we decided to buy him a cart and, and to support him through that. And then there were other soldiers that we met there as well who had been injured. Um, and we started to support them as well. And then very quickly, we realized that we couldn't physically afford to support everybody that we wanted to support. So at that point, we decided to put a charity together and we called on our friends, our family. Our patients were brilliant because as soon as we advertised it in the clinic, um, we had a, a tremendous amount of support. And we inaugurated our charity about three years ago. And that charity is for rehabilitation, uh, medical, psychological, physical, and helping people get back on track with life. So, you know, we are able, and we've got a number of success stories now um, where we've helped people with, a lot of them have psychological trauma. And, you know, trauma comes from lots of different aspects. It could be that you've witnessed something, that you've been involved with something. And that psychological trauma then has genomic effects on their bodies. Um, it changes the way that the genes balance themselves out. And um, so a lot of them put weight on, they become depressed, they start to develop other conditions. You know, some of them have physical injuries and our regenerative medicine is helping people in closing wounds and, and repairing scars and loosening scars up so they get better mobility. So we decided to start working with him and the charity has gone from strength to strength. We have two major events. Our karting now is our one of our mascot events. And it's it's like a family. We get together twice a year. And what we've started to do is we've started to bring in different aspects of psychological support because different people have different things that they connect with. So we've got dancing um, with heroes, which is our ball event. And a lot of our soldiers find a great deal of 
help through dance and dance training. We're, we're just starting singing with heroes and where we have a voice coach who will work with them. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's another charity that we're linking with who do fishing. Um, and so there are lots of different activities and they're all activity based because these young people love their activities. Um, and that's how we're moving forward. So we're evolving and we're growing with them. Good for you. Good for you. Kudos and long may that continue. Uh, final couple of questions, if I may. First of all, there's going to be lots of people wanting to know the answer to this one. How do we find out more about the amazing work you do? Website. I know you're based in Harley Street, but there, there must be a website. There must be some uh, details about the charity. So would you mind just sharing with us how we find out a little bit more about you? Yeah, um, the website is, we're called the Harley Street Skin Clinic, skin at harleystreet.com. Um, and our um, our charity is called Back on Track London. Um, there are lots of Back on Track charities, but if, if you look for that, um, you would be able to pick up the, the soldiers charity for Back on Track. Um, and, you know, and of course, we're, we'd be delighted for people to come to the clinic, but more so for people to look at our charity and help with that as well. That's very kind. Good for you. So final question. It is one we ask all of our guests. Um, and I'm going to ask it to you today, if I may, Dr. Khan, in a slightly different way. Uh, in fact, it's the first time I've asked it this way. So what we normally do is we ask people to imagine that they have a younger version of themselves, a son or a daughter, uh, asking their father in this particular case for some advice based on all of his amazing life uh, and business experience for a few words of wisdom to help them uh, tackle life that is that is yet to come. I think the way I'd like to ask you to answer that question today is to, um, again, just circle back to your clinic and the charity, you know, you're award-winning, uh, you appear on television, so you're an expert in your field. What is it about you that makes you and your work so successful? That's, a, that's always a difficult one because you do what you do. Um, I think the principles I, I teach my children uh, number one is that, you know, respect is very important for, for everybody you see. There is never any excuse for, for rudeness or for, for any sort of short-temperedness with anybody. I think that's the one thing that my father taught me was to respect people. It doesn't matter where they're from. There is always something that they know something about more than you do. Um, so I think being humble and respectful are the two things that, you know, are, are important. And then never, ever, ever give up on what you want to do. If you have something which is a passion, if you think about something, then act on it, do something about it, because there's nothing worse than regret. If you do it, it doesn't work. And you learn that it's something that you don't want. That's fair. But if you just don't do it, and you never live the life that you can, then, you know, then you'll live with regret. So, you know, I would say never, ever put yourself in that position where, you know, if you want to do something that, you know, you just take that one step and you'll find that there are people around who will be able to help you. What a fabulous way to conclude uh, a really fascinating and, uh, if I can say so, an inspiring uh, podcast conversation with you today, Dr. Khan. Thank you so much on behalf of everyone listening. Uh, for sharing uh, your insights so openly into, you know, uh, life uh, and the success, and most importantly, the amazing work, charitable work you're doing for so many people. So long may all of that continue. And once again, thank you so much.
Thank you. So thank you for joining us on the Sandro Forte podcast today. Wasn't Dr. Armakan Khan absolutely amazing? Uh, one, of the, one of my favorite podcast interviews. Each week, we've got a new guest joining us to share their own insights into achieving success or overcoming life challenges. Don't forget. So please make sure you continue sub- to subscribe and remember those questions. Keep those coming. Hello at sandrospodcast.com. Uh, do connect with me on social media, Sandro Forte, the real Sandro Forte on Instagram and leave those reviews on iTunes for a chance to be automatically entered into a prize draw uh, donated kindly by one of our guests uh, in previous weeks. So until this time next week and another fascinating guest, goodbye for now.